Bankless Nation, we've got an excellent episode prepared for you today. What's hot on Arbitrum? That's the question. David, it feels like it's layer two season. I know we've said that a few times in the mm-hmm. past, but this time it feels like a, a real bright spot in the crypto community. Layer twos are up. And among all of the layer twos that are doing things in terms of getting more transaction volume, getting more users, deploying more applications, Arbitrum is kind of in the lead. And so we are doing a deep dive exploration on the Arbitrum uh, community. Uh, Why don't you tee up what's in store for us in this episode? Yeah, so we got three community leaders who are also the experts, the co-founders, the core contributors of whatever particular app on Arbitrum that they contribute to. But they're also just DeFi, NFT power users across the broad Arbitrum landscape. And so we're going to have a panel today of three Arbitrum power users uh, that are building on Arbitrum, that are just community members of Arbitrum, community leaders of Arbitrum, because of all things that happened in 2022, all of the down bad things that happened in 2022, Arbitrum was not one of them. They were one of the few ecosystems that was growing throughout 2022, and you can really feel it in the energy of the community. So I want to know, why is Arbitrum so hot right now? What is Arbitrum specifically as the team? What are they doing right? And what is on Arbitrum that these NFT organizations, these CFI apps are really, really leveraging? There's a, there's a bunch of energy going on, and I want to know why that energy is so high. Guys, uh, we're going to get to the episode before we do. A few things to talk about. Number one is, uh, all right, so Arbitrum, David, you've teed up the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what should listeners really be pe- paying attention to from these three panelists? Yeah, like I frequently say on Bankless, there's always a bull market somewhere. And the energy across the Layer 2 ecosystem is probably at all-time highs. Uh, and that is, is especially uh, true about the Arbitrum ecosystem. Ryan, did you know that the Arbitrum bridge contract is the seventh largest holder of ETH? Number seven. Know that. Number seven. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. It's also one of the largest uh, burners of ETH. And so the energy of the Arbitrum smart contract burning all that ether is coming right out of the Arbitrum community. You can see them in the chat right now. Yes, I am looking at them. Uh, and uh, there's and so, like I said in the intro, there is there's I want to explore how did how did Arbitrum do this? What about the builders on Arbitrum? Uh, why do they choose Arbitrum? Uh, Arbitrum doesn't even have a token. Uh, things like Avalanche, Solana, like all these other layer ones have had tokens. Yet Arbitrum is lapping them in TVL and transactional volume. What is going on over in Arbitrum? Uh, so these are this is going to be the meta of the show. These are going to be the questions that we were asking the three contributors uh, in the Arbitrum app layer. We got a representative from the Treasure DAO. We got a representative from the GMX uh, uh, lever. Um, what do you call these things? Margin trading apps. Uh, which fun fact, Ryan was the best token to hold throughout 2022, where everything was down like 90 percent. GMX better was than up, stable coins. Up 20 percent. It was okay, up 20 percent in 2022. Coins, yeah, uh, categorically winning 2022. Uh, and then also we got a game, the Beacon. Uh, and so we're going to explore DeFi. We're going to explore NFTs. We're going to explore gaming. Because apparently you can do it all on Arbitrum. Uh, and I should say that there are disclosures that we usually, we don't have uh, too many disclosures to disclose. But on this episode, we do. Uh, I own a material amount of magic tokens and also small brains, which are the unofficial PFP of the treasure ecosystem. And the Bankless Fund also owns some small brains as well. Oh, and Arbitrum is also a currently a Bankless sponsor. So there are plenty of conflicts of interest in this episode. But we've been promoting Layer 2s for a while now. So this should really come as no surprise. David also owns some ETH too. We may talk oh, about yeah. ETH here or there. Yeah, certainly. Uh, 
I'm excited about this episode because I, I feel like I'm going to learn a bit more about the Arbitrum ecosystem. So guys, if you want to join us in that, then stay tuned. We'll be right back with our episode with folks uh, at Arbitrum exploring this ecosystem. But before we do, we want to tell you the sponsors that made this episode possible. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this state of the nation where the state of the nation is hot because that is exactly what Arbitrum is. Uh, in the top right corner, we got Corel. Corel is the COO and co-founder of Treasure Dow. Corel, welcome to the show. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, in the bottom left corner of your screen, we got uh, Diego. Diego is over at the uh, the Beacon, which is a game, I believe, inside of the Treasure ecosystem. We're going to ask about how that works. Uh, Diego, welcome Absolutely. to the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. I'm the CEO and co-founder of the Beacon. And then also in the bottom right corner, we got CoinFlip Canada, the only Anon on the stream. This is why we've got his little uh, profile picture over the Zoom chat. Uh, CoinFlip, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here, David. Long time fan of this show cheers well it's been a while since we've had a panel uh up on bankless which is which is why i'm juggling both the stream and also the questions uh but i think this is gonna go this is gonna be pretty fun guys because uh this is exactly what these systems these protocol systems are supposed to do uh bring people together in the app layer to allow for some interoperability and also some lively uh healthy growth uh that's what we're looking to to talk about here and so i want to start with this question what exactly is arbitrum doing right uh, because the Arbitrum ecosystem is one of the hottest things in Ethereum, uh, but not just in Ethereum, in all of crypto. Uh, like I said in the intro in 2022, uh, the if crypto like deflated in 2022, uh, except for Arbitrum. Uh, and so I want to know why that is true. Uh, so, uh, Karel, I'll throw this first question to you. And from your perspective, what's what's going right in the world of Arbitrum? Uh, I'd say a ton of things. I mean, you know, we're, we're coming into this from the vantage point of, uh, you know, gaming and, and NFTs, of course. But, you know, I think for us, like we, we came into Arbitrum, you know, late kind of 2021, you know, kind of shortly after they launched. So we were fairly early into everything. And, you know, I think the major theme and just kind of working not only with Arbitrum, but also everyone else here is that like this is a super collaborative and like, you know, largely kind of community driven sort of effort. And so working shoulder to shoulder with with everyone here. I mean, they're focusing on the right things, growing organically. Um, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it and, you know, looking at, uh, you know, one token, which I, I think is a common theme uh, across the board. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there are so many different sort of game changers that have come out of this, you know, I think from a technology perspective as builders and users, I mean, that, that's that been, you know, uh, a huge thing for, for us uh, at, at Treasure and all the games that we're supporting as well. Um, so, I mean, definitely, I think, you know, there's, there's that, that, that's been a huge kind of part and and you know i think why they're you know kind of playing uh the the, the right cards and um you know i think the other part of that is everyone who's come here to build on top of the Arbitrum, um, you know, uh, network. And so, you know, for us, all the games, um, you know, uh, a network is, is kind of dead without, you know, dApps and protocols and things that are coming here. And, and so I think, you know, there is that sort of flywheel network effect um, that is coming out from just having a, a thriving sort of ecosystem that is uh, growing and, and building together. Uh, Diego, I want to throw kind of the same question. I think we're going to just take this one by one by one. Uh, Diego, from your perspective mm -hmm. over at the Beacon, uh, and perhaps you could kind of illustrate how the beacon works on Arbitrum, because if I understand it correctly, the beacon, the game, is built on top of Treasure DAO, which is built on top of Arbitrum. Is that how this works? And, and overall, like, can you talk about just the network effects that you've been able to experience over there? Yeah, yeah. So to some degree, it, so in 
Yes, the, the beacon interacts with treasure, but it's not precisely built on top of mm -hmm. on top of treasure. It's built, in fact, in top of Arbitrum. Like all our contracts, all our small smart contracts are deployed in Arbitrum, right? But treasure is like this sort of ecosystem that powers games for the most part. And be, the beacon as a game pretty much just stepped into treasure's infrastructure in order to not only well help it grow, but also us benefiting from the thriving ecosystem that they have. But technology-wise, yeah, it's an Arbitrum project in that sense. Like it's everything is everything is just on the Arbitrum, on, on the on, it's an Arbitrum on the um, on the technical side of the equation. What I do think that they've been doing well is a few things. I mean, Karel actually summarized it pretty well. But it's a set, it's a, it's the fact that there's like this set of interesting initiatives that are being that have been growing in Arbitrum lately. Uh, very cool projects, and most of them are very community driven and very open towards collaboration. And I'd say that that's one of the key aspects to it. But it's also the fact that for developers, and I would say that for users alike, Arbitrum is a fantastic experience. Like for us, when we deployed our contracts and, 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 every, and everything did on the Arbitrum layer, um, the experience was fantastic. It was really smooth. And from the side of our users, transaction speed is fantastic. And it's also on a very low cost basis. So I'd say that if you add like all these factors together, they really grant the an experience that makes people well delighted of the exp of the experience. I'd say that that's one of the main things. Um, yeah, that's that's from my side at least. And of course, uh, Corel and Diego are part of the uh, NFT gaming ecosystem side of Arbitrum, but the DeFi part of Arbitrum Arbitrum is just as hot. And uh, so I'm going to turn now to CoinFlip Canada out of the the GMX ecosystem. So CoinFlip. Talk to us about DeFi on Arbitrum. Uh, I think that's kind of where Arbitrum really started, is, is starting with DeFi apps. Uh, NFTs and TreasureDAO came not too shortly afterwards, but Arbitrum really got started with its roots in DeFi. Talk to us about the health of the, the DeFi ecosystem on Arbitrum. What, what about it is so special to you? Well, in many ways, I mean, and, and without, it, without making it sound too grand, for me at this point, Arbitrum DeFi is Ethereum DeFi. It's just, it's just become the natural home where... The applications, the dApps, the, the collaborations that you want to do are possible in the environment that Arbitrum has built. Safe, secure, secured by Ethereum, which I think has been such a fundamental part of its success. The fact that so many people have you know, been willing to come over, bring their assets over to Arbitrum, you said the number seven wallet in all Ethereum is the Ar Arbitrum Bridge. It just shows that the comfort level with remaining, you know, closely aligned within the Ethereum ecosystem has been just such a boon. But it, it's also been that, you know, and, and, and again, I, I was probably involved in DeFi in the early days, but I wasn't involved, in, let's say, in Ethereum in the early days. And you talk to a lot of people and they, they say that we have that sense that it's a small community still. It's not a community that what, it's really a community where people are building, the conversation is around product. People are looking at how innovation actually applies, how it works together, how there is product market fit. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's it's really interesting that it sort of runs at a pace that is very, you know, sorry, where to put it. In crypto, nothing is human, but at a very human pace where people are actually trying to figure out how they do sequential pieces that are not rushing to deploy things that don't work and see what happens. It's, I don't know, it, there's just a real sense of sensibility over there. And uh, CoinFlip, like I said in the uh, in the intro, GMX is one of the few applications that ended up green on the year in terms of uh, the token price, but also trading volumes. And I also butchered the uh, d the description. I believe the per perhaps the correct uh, correct dis uh, description of what GMX is is a derivatives exchange. But for people that never have interacted with GMX before, or maybe derivatives exchange isn't the right name, and can you just uh, explain a little bit more about the DeFi app, what it, what it is, and what does it do, and what can what you can do on it? Yeah. So. GMX is a 
Oracle-based uh, perpetuals and spot exchange uh, that's on Arbitrum and uh, Avalanche. Uh, it basically works by aggregating the best the best off-chain data from large centralized exchanges and in time decentralized exchanges as their volumes grow to help create you know a deep liquid on-chain market. And we've really been able to try to create uh, an environment where people have confidence that they're getting transparent pricing. Everything that happens is still executed on chain. You're able to verify um, what the market price was, what you what you were executed at, what you were liquidated at using Chainlink oracles. Uh, it's it's really just helped to try to bring, I think, a sex like experience over into the on chain experience, but most interestingly, doing so without external market makers or other participants, but instead relying on called one of the great DeFi innovations, which is a liquidity pool. A sex-like experience. And of course, you mean centralized exchange-like experience, of course. Yeah, YouTube comments maybe, have already caught up on that. Maybe not that good, <laughs> but it, it is pretty good. <laughs> I, I, try GMX out and then tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, CoinFlip, you, you mentioned that um, Arbitrum DeFi is Ethereum DeFi. Which is kind of interesting uh, take on things. I, I'm I'm curious from all of our panelists, maybe starting with you again, coin flip, and and we'll work the other direction. Uh, how would you describe Arbitrum culture? How is it the same? How is it different than Ethereum culture? And then uh, GMX is also deployed on Avalanche. How is Arbitrum similar or different from an alt layer one like Avalanche? Well, I think the starting point between Ethereum and Arbitrum, and, and obviously I think being spending so much time in Arbitrum, maybe for me the line has become very fuzzy because I, I you know, and maybe I've had the opportunity, sort of GMX has been very privileged. We've been sort of, you know, the biggest player on Arbitrum and it's given us a chance to probably talk to so many protocols. And those conversations are always about how they can come in, how we can integrate. Sort of if I, if I take the... You know the great idea of being able to be composable, have permissionless contracts. I think mean, those discussions have been very central. So I think a lot of things that people were hoping to do on Ethereum, which just I think just from a gas standpoint, even now with lower gases, were not practical settlement times. You know, I think you know people have sort of said, well, great, we've been able to solve that by coming over to Arbitrum, and now actually sort of conceive a lot of the ideas people had a few years ago. So I think now it's really a conversation about, so how do we do it? Uh, I think my conversations, to be fair, you know, in the Avalanche ecosystem have probably been very similar. Uh, I think it's, you know, I think when you actually get down to conversations with builders, it, there is, a, 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 I think, a lot more sensibility. The markets, obviously, and the wider ecosystem gets, you know, gets noisy. But most builders have been, you know, really focusing on, you know, what piece of the puzzle they can work on and how we can work together. And I think Arbitrum, I've really been... I've really appreciated working with, uh, you know, other other collaborating uh, collaborating with other protocols who've also said, look, we've got one piece of the puzzle, and hopefully, all of these pieces put together start to create a tapestry. They start to create that experience uh, in DeFi that uh, you know doesn't require you to now need to you know move off chain for anything. Diego, how would you describe kind of um, crypto gaming culture and Arbitrum, and uh, what mm -hmm. does that look like? I mean, I, I remember there was a period of time where Ethereum mainnet had more crypto games. They were very sort of, you know, primitive, but uh, most mm -hmm. of those have, have kind of now migrated. Is Arbitrum sort of uh, an epicenter for crypto gaming right now? How would you describe that? And is Arbitrum going mm -hmm. to be the long-term home, like Arbitrum 1, 
or is, are there talks? Is there talk about like Arbitrum Nova or some of these other mm -hmm. you know game centric uh, layer twos as well? So it seems to be that Arbitrum is like the epicenter of L2 gaming, at least. Uh, but I would say that that's not, in no, it, it's not a coincidence. The fact that we have Treasure DAO into Arbitrum is actually one of the main, I would say, one of the core drivers of that adoption. But not only, it's not only Treasure, of course, the Arbitrum team is also putting serious effort and making this uh, environment more friendly towards developers. Like, for instance, Nova is actually quite the promising approach to build games upon and for users to use it. Uh, to me, it's the fact that it would seem to be, uh, and this is just my personal opinion, that currently the community in Arbitrum, at least in relation to games, and perhaps like other projects as well, is more cohesive. It's like more united than what you would find, let's say, on the other um, chains, maybe. Maybe on, for instance, if you compare the Arbitrum community with the AVEX community, it would seem to be, to me at least, but maybe I could be biased because I'm building here, right? That it's more cohesive, more driven, more welcoming. At the same time, it's like maybe because it's also the fact that Arbitrum is let's say I wouldn't say the new kid on the block, but it's like fairly newer to some degree, and maybe like all these cool initiatives have been being built upon it. That it also brings the hype in, you know, like people are actually quite enthusiastic about the future of Arbitrum, and the fact that it's also tied to Ethereum makes the, let's say makes it to be perceived as a more secure bet, right? It's like you're well, you're building games, you're have, we're having games and everything, but it's also tied to Ethereum, so that sort of things add up. To me, the main feeling I derive from this is that. The community is more united, but and I will give the the, the ball to Karel uh, in this one is that it seems to me that a good portion of that is also due to the fact that Treasure DAO has been uh, pushing this sort of ethos forward as well. So it's like it's hard to distinguish one from the other to some degree. It's very tight together. But yeah, uh, Karel, so, if you want to add to that, yeah, Karel, it sounds like trouble, by the way. It, it sounds like Treasure is a, a main reason for the gaming ecosystem really taking off on. Uh, Arbitrum in, in the way it has. So, can you describe kind of the the, the gaming culture and, um, yeah, what why um, why do you think Treasure and Arbitrum are becoming the nexus for Layer Two gaming, as as Diego says? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, thanks for the alley oop, uh, Diego. Um, so, so I mean, I think the Arbitrum gaming and and NFT, NFT culture. I mean, it's it's largely Treasure culture as well. And you know, I think because of that, and I'll I'll give some some background maybe on Treasure um, really quickly. I'll kind of speed run through it. But I mean, we're effectively building you know what we like to call the decentralized Nintendo. So a crypto native game publisher that is leveraging Web three to its full fullest extent. Um, so breaking down walled gardens, transforming how game publishing is, is done in a bottom-up and community-driven manner. And all of this is tied together through interoperability, shared resources, magic as our token. And so as we think about this kind of context, um, and you know, I think why we sort of view this as as the culture of treasure as well, is, you know, I think a lot of the gaming and NFT activity, certainly from a transaction perspective, I mean, we we really dominate the scene right now. I think we account for across all of our different games, like over 95% of um, you know, related transactions on Arbitrum. So um, you know, kind of looking at it from that lens, you know, I think a lot of it is because of how we're approaching things. And, you know, in the same way that, you know, you have 
a Nintendo, you have different cartridges, different games that you can slot in and, and out. You know, there's this cohesiveness that spans really the entire ecosystem. So between the games, between the, you know, different types of kind of infra and tooling that we're building out, everything is connected. And, you know, it, it, you're kind of looking at this in, in the, you know, sort of viewpoint of, um, you know, this uh, sort of broader uh, degree of network effects that really kind of drive um, both players and builders, you know, into this epicenter that is kind of forming. Um, it's a very, I think, deep contrast to, you know, some of the other um, sort of L2s networks out there where in a lot of, you know, ways, uh, any games that are kind of building there, for the most part, anyway, um, we haven't necessarily seen a kind of treasure-like community form quite yet, um, is that they're kind of building in isolation. And so really this like rising tide of Sawboat's ethos is, you know, is something that we live and breathe by. And, um, you know, it, it is, you know, kind of shared across, uh, you know, all the games that we have and and who, you know, we have the pleasure of working with. And and so is that, um, is that basically Arbitrum 1, is that going to remain home? for treasure um i mean i mentioned arbitrum nova earlier uh, and then we've also talked about avalanche but you know what about arbitrum one feels like home and and how would you kind of expand into other chains if you do yeah absolutely i mean arbitrum one is you know in in a lot of ways a relic of which has served you know i think uh, treasure quite well um but just in terms of how we migrated and moved everything over from ethel one you know onto arbitrum right and so um arbitrum nova wasn't there at the time you know it was um, a, a good bet on on us to kind of transition there um where as i guess if we think about the future of treasure and where we're going to go from here i mean certainly i think there there are no, you know, plans to move away from Arbitrum kind of period, um, you know, at this point in time. Um, but, you know, I think with the Nova question, you know, I think just thinking about from a even technology perspective and speed and transaction costs, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense as, you know, they are really kind of, uh, and, and by they, I mean, Arbitrum, you know, they're positioning this as the uh, gaming and, and social um, kind of chain for for different um, sort of applications like that. So I think, um, you know, we, we did launch support um, via our marketplace for Arbitrum Nova, uh, I think in the fall. Um, so, you know, could there be um, really a question, you know, a, you know, a subset of games that also emerge there? I think it's very realistic. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it, there's a, a bigger question on the liquidity kind of front as well, as we think about this token that unifies everyone um, having that fragmented is also a, a big question. So it's not something we're looking at lightly, but uh, definitely uh, considering for sure. Diego, my hearing murmurs of thoughts from you. Yeah, I mean, I was just wanting to add something that Karel said to before. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to to throw us lower in any other chain or anything like that. Plus, I've, I've actually haven't been able to explore. I haven't been exploring the other chains for a while because, as we said on Arbitrum and Treasure, we just like stopped looking. But I could add that at some point when we were like deciding which chain to launch on, one of the key challenges that we sort of find out what found out was that uh, even though there was there were initiatives for these chains to build games upon. It sort of felt like every game you had on these different chains was like a siloed operation. It sounds like there was no communication between the community of one game with the community of another game, even though they were in the same chain, let's say, as Avex. Whilst on the other hand, with Treasure or an Arbitrum, for that matter, you sort of found that there was like this deep connection of community. And I'd say that that was like the deal breaker for us to, to jump in. Um, it wasn't that those other chains didn't give you support or any of those things, but it seemed to me that the community aspect was like stronger on the Arbitrum side. And for that, for us, that meant that was like a deal breaker. Like community is king if you want to build a blockchain game. Coin flip, you have any thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I, to, to echo, echo what Diego said, the community aspect, I think, really should not be underestimated. The fact is that if I if I go through sort of, you know, our side chats within GMX, the, the dialogue actually isn't just about DeFi. There is a lot of conversation about Treasure, other people building game environments. There's a lot of interesting sort of uh, gamified vaults and and. GameFi that that's also developing out. I mean, I know Treasure's also looking at a few things within the ecosystem that are that we might be collaborating on. So, I mean, I think that's that's the interesting thing that people are sort of toying out and testing out those different models because because there's been such an interesting you know intersection between those two sort of areas. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how things keep developing. But the fact that people in these communities are overlapping, it's not like we have a NFT community and a DeFi community, there's really an Arbitrum community that sort of overarchs and people are dabbling across that whole ecosystem. And there's a lot of crossover between DeFi and and gaming. You mentioned GameFi, but that's really, I mean, that's been talked about a lot, but is that really happening on Arbitrum CoinFlip? Uh, yeah, so the, there, are, there, are, there are platforms that are looking at, um, well, you know, copy trading in a, in a sort of a social aspect. You're looking at people doing gamified vaults. There's a project uh, protocol called, I think, uh, DSQ, who's working with us. I think they're doing something with Magic as well. I know even Magic's been talking about looking at LP positions and other things to sort of back the the game, their, their ecosystem. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things there where we're trying to see how do you, how do you optimize, um, you know, for idle capital, because there is a lot of inefficiency that sort of lies in the system. So there's, you know, obviously we're all, we're all a little careful because, you know, we, we don't want to go too quickly, but I think those conversations have happened and we see a lot of potential for overlap. And I think, I think that if I were to use an example, the GMX has done very well with, you know, attracting a good amount of capital and trading activity. So off of that, you're getting a lot of people looking at, you know, well, gaming, which crosses over into gambling and a lot of other things that are sort of happening. So that, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of happening in that space. I'm actually reminded of uh, what you were saying, CoinFlip, from all the way back in DeFi summer, where we had this uh, concept called composable communities, where I think this really came out uh, after like yams came out, where you could uh, deposit your synthetics tokens, your maker tokens, your Aave tokens, your uh, like your DeFi project tokens. And it was all these communities coming together to farm yams. Uh, and it was like this mm-hmm. great like composability of all these ecosystems come together under this one DeFi app. And so this one brand new DeFi app, yams, uh, was collectively owned by all these other communities. It seems to be there's a little bit of that playing through in the Arbitrum app layer. But it's, it's interesting to me that this is not really something that... Uh, is technical. This is not a protocol competing against another protocol, right? This isn't like Arbitrum going over and competing with Avalanche on their protocol, even though I'm sure they could. But it's really something much more in the social layer that is really allowing Arbitrum to to rise to what it, to what we see today. How, do you do you think that's a fair take of it's actually the culture that has been created more than the protocol? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm not going to get into a technology conversation because I think every every system has its own merits. But I think mm-hmm. that what, you know, in some ways, as you said, 2022 was a very interesting experience. If I think about when Arbitrum mainnet went live, if I recall, it was basically November 1st, which of 2021, it almost kicks to like the peak of the market mm-hmm. uh, of the bull run. And that's when Arbitrum went live, and in, and you know there's no there's no Arbitrum token. There's nothing on that front. So what happened was it did become it did become a community that got to focus on the protocols and everything that was being built. Um, I think I mean I'll I'll say that you know listen, 
I can take Avalanche, I can take Phantom, I can take all these other ecosystems. In some ways, as token went down, communities got, you know, you know, their emotions got tied with the token price as opposed to what was being built. Great stuff's being built in other spaces, but in Arbitrum, everybody got to only focus on what was being built. And I think that was, it, it just really helped to, you know, snowball and keep growing in the right direction for us. Cornflip, I got I got one more question for you. That uh, since you uh, when you hopped into the uh, Zoom, you said that you're uh, familiar with Bankless content, and that means that you're generally familiar with the Bankless thesis, which means you're generally familiar that Bankless has kind of been promoting the alt or the Layer Two thesis much more than it has the Alt Layer One thesis. Uh, and mm-hmm. since GMX has straddled both uh, Avalanche and Arbitrum, I, I think you're actually in a pretty well equipped position to give an audit as to the bankless thesis. Uh, in what ways were, do you think we were right? In what ways do you think we were wrong? Well, okay. So I, I will say I, I'm, I'm a great believer that the, the Ethereum network from a, from a security standpoint is the most valuable system of security. And I think that that's been a real big aspect of where, you know, from a DeFi standpoint, I think uh, there's a lot of potential. I, so I think that thesis is extremely strong. When it comes to L2s, and you know, as you said, we're we're deployed on Avalanche as well, and there's even governance proposals for us to go to other, uh, to to go to other L1s. I think it really comes down to what is getting built on on each protocol. I mean, for something like GMX, we we're a base layer, and we want to work with other people who can build on top of us, who can build liquidity under us, and it largely comes down to each ecosystem if there's if there's an active number mm-hmm. of builders. Uh, so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure there's anything. I think the thesis is sound. I mean, I think that, you know, Ethereum will continue to snowball and grow. And for any alt L1 to, to stand up, they will have to differentiate themselves. They will. I'm not sure if that's in DeFi, if that's in gaming or whatever area, but mm-hmm. there, there's a, I mean, I don't, I'm not black holes out there, I think, but there's a, there's a center of gravity around Ethereum and then the L2s that is that's very strong. You know what's so exciting to me about this whole conversation is um, how, how much, David, this feels like we are uh, exploring new lands, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of like settling. We, we've called Layer 2 the kind of the new frontier. It's moved from Ethereum mainnet into the new frontier. And what we're seeing in uh, Arbitrum is um, entirely different kind of ecosystem of, of players and important applications in the stack. So like treasure being incredibly important, GMX being in, incredibly important, this whole g- gaming ecosystem, that is so much different than the kind of the cast of applications and uh, important ecosystem participants on mainnet. And um, you y- 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 might've assumed like a sterile world of, yeah, all of the big DeFi apps and all of the big kind of apps on mainnet will just replicate across all the layer twos. We're not seeing that at all. It's almost like um, you know our analogy of of Ethereum is kind of like a a um, nation of states. Uh, you know, every state being kind of a different blockchain. It's like mm-hmm. and some of these things are uh, almost like like cities. So when we look at Arbitrum and compare that to Optimism, it's it's almost like looking at the difference between like New York and San Francisco. These are entirely different mm-hmm. cities with different networks and different ecosystem participants. And sure, there's some crossover, and yet, but they're all united under this one kind of you know. Uh, I guess settlement uh, assurance of of a nation state. Anyway, that that's very striking to me, and uh, it's also very very exciting, because what it means is there is a whole new world of opportunity for uh, builders to uh, make their mark in new chains. And in, in addition to like kind of lower gas fees being a 
uh, you know, place for innovation to, to sort of thrive. We have these new ecosystem participants that can try something different. And I think we'll get a lot of variety that way. Is that what you're seeing? Or like, am I, am I off here? Or, or yeah, cause I know you've explored L2s a little bit more deeply than I have. And this is a question for you actually, David. <laughs> oh, oh, this okay. is for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is absolutely what I'm saying. And, and so like, yeah, there's uh, the different cultures in different cities, but also free, uh, transportation, free access across each one. Right. So like you can walk, uh, I mean, you can't really, but in theory, you could walk from San Francisco to New York, right? There's nothing stopping you from doing that. And that's what it feels like layer two bridges. But you, what, what you do find in these different layer twos is different cultures. Uh, and it's easier to compose inside of cities than it does across cities. Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing there. Uh, CoinFlip, I got one last question for you about specifically GMX before we turn the, the conversation into the more NFT and, and gaming ecosystems. How, how are other DeFi protocols on Arbitrum hooked into GMX? Because I mean, we all know that DeFi is what it is because of composability. Uh, what's the current state of composability on the Arbitrum layer two? It, it exists and it's growing. And so I would say that, you know, I'll just use an example that if the, if we're doing any sort of update to our protocol at this point, I'm sending, you know, we're probably sending out updates to 50 different, you know, protocols, builders, groups who are already sort of, you know, tied into GMX in one way or the other, and roughly an equal amount who we know are already in the process. And that's across both, you know, our existing deployment and our upcoming GMX synthetic markets, which is kind of a bit of a successor to what we've done with uh, with GMX and GLP, um, you have you have countless people building delta neutral vaults. You have people building compounding vaults. You have people building trading strategy vaults now that will that are utilizing GMX. You have options protocols already deployed and more who are deploying who are able to use GMX to provide capital efficient uh, hedging strategies for being able to you know expand their marketplaces. So you know I think everybody has really. Uh, looked and found value in bringing that capital efficient structure on chain and being able to ensure that you have, you know, you have transparent settlement. You're not, you're not needing to move beyond the chain to be able uh, to, you know, effectively add risk or offload risk. That, that's that's a nice way to say it for other protocols. You know, for traders, it's typically you know doing the same thing, but for protocols, it I think it functions very differently and. That's continued to be, you know, a build out. So I, I really do feel like 2023, you're definitely going to see, a, you're going to see, you know, that that notion of the Lego really, you know, the tower being built up, with multiple protocols, you know, feeding liquidity into GMX and and multiple protocols building and utilizing that liquidity. Carlton and Diogo, uh, the way that I kind of think of you guys are founders of your respective projects, but power users of the rest of Arbitrum. So that means DeFi too, I'm assuming. Uh, do you guys use Arbitrum for all of your DeFi activities? Is it like 50-50 between Arbitrum and the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem? Like, I know we've said that Arbitrum uh, is DeFi at this point, uh, but uh, to what degree like, is your activity, your DeFi activity, whatever that may be, contained inside of the Arbitrum ecosystem? Uh, Karel, let's start with you and then we'll go to Diego afterwards. 
Yeah, I, I'd say if, you know, it's it's fairly limited, um, you know, speaking from a kind of treasure lens, um, but, you know, aside from um, sort of from a liquidity standpoint, you know, we had um, recently kind of made a, a swap from you know, kind of gamified um, like protocol owned liquidity that was previously just, you know, kind of through Sushi, Magic ETH uh, kind of pools uh, and moving that to, to GMX. I mean, we have initially, we haven't put that in place quite yet, um, but at least we got the governance proposal through. Um, so there is that kind of, you know, crossover that is uh, beginning to kind of take shape. Um, but beyond that, I mean, everything is, you know, that, that we sort of do and interact with is, is all on, all on uh, Arbitrum. And uh, Diego, what about you? I, what about your... Uh, yeah, I guess I can add to that. So I guess it's important to disclose that our project does not have a token per se, like our own token, we don't have one. And that's, we may, we may have one in the future, but we don't have one because we pretty much rely on our treasures, infrastructure, uh, economic infrastructure to be the unit of, unit of account of our game to some degree. And so most of the DeFi part are actually sort of outsourced towards Treasure or towards towards Corel in that sense. Um, but I do ambition that if at some point, let's say we have a token, we will for sure like use Arbitrum's infrastructure on the DeFi side to to fuel it, right? But there's no need to do that now. Uh, on the personal side, I do use Arbitrum DeFi quite a bit, um, and like, the speed and the transaction cost is it's quite delightful. But yeah, in, in the case of our project, it's mostly this we outsource the problem towards Corel for that in that sense. Yeah, and, and if I can if I can add there, I mean I think there there are homebrew or homegrown kind of you know I'd say um, uh, products that like we're we're in development um, for you know to kind of bring this to life as we think about just the cross game economy. So we have something called Magic Swap, which right now you know is uh, essentially just using Magic as the base pair. I mean that's similar to a lot of the other kind of protocols out there. There is an evolution of that that's uh, kind of coming. That is you know more focused around you know how we can do this, um, but from an NFT perspective. And, you know, for, as we think about, um, and, and, you know, I think there's there's a big debate right now across gaming, you know, in Web3 on kind of the fin financialized sort of aspects of it and the other side, which is more the intrinsic sort of value um, that you can kind of derive from, from you know, um, essentially kind of building here. And so um, there's there's a lot of that that, you know, we're kind of building up towards as well. And, you know, certainly that will sit on, on Arbitrum. Well, I, uh, Carl, I really want to dive down into the uh, the economics of the treasure ecosystem and the the whole idea of treasure as a like a Nintendo for Web three with different cartridges to slot in and out. Uh, there's always been this idea in the world of crypto of composable games and composable gaming. Uh, and up until this point, I've been kind of a skeptic. It's like, all right, that's a cool meme. That's a cool narrative. But it's hard to say that uh, what Treasure Dow is doing is in actually executing on that narrative. And so this has gone from a narrative to an actual real story. So I want to uh, dive down into that specific part of this conversation. Uh, but first, I want to talk about uh, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this episode possible. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back in the second half of the show. We're, we're going to dive down into the NFTs, the PFPs, the Web3 gaming side of Arbitrum in this conversation. Uh, and so, Carl, I'm going I'm to start with you. Uh, I interviewed the Treasure team uh, back in last April. Uh, I was still living in San Diego at the time. And the community that showed up in the chat was absolutely insane. <laughs> they were the craziest, but also extremely friendly, uh, the most friendly community that I've ever engaged with, which was really refreshing at the time because in April of 2022, I had gotten in like three fights in a row with various different frog armies, first Doquans and uh, before that, Daniel Sestas. Uh, so it was really refreshing to have all of these like small brain people coming into the chat, even though I didn't really know what the hell the E thing was. Uh, but it was just, it, and, and so like fast forward to where we are now, I poked in my head into the, uh, into 
the treasure ecosystem to see what's up with that community. Did they make it through 2022 or are they doing all right? Uh, and, uh, I mean, they were just as crazy and energetic as ever. So dude, how the hell did you do that in 2022? How did you keep your community so engaged throughout a, one of the worst years cryptos ever happened? Like what, wh- how did you got, how did treasure inject so much energy into its ecosystem? Yeah, no, it's uh, well, one thing. Thanks for uh, stopping in there. Um, we will definitely have Ryan, I think, do a big E at the end of this. Uh, is, uh, is my I've already mission. asked. But yeah, I mean, and, and definitely it's a team effort. I mean, I think part, part of it is um, we've just gone, uh, you know, I think looking back to April 2022, and, and I'll bring up like one of the things that we, you kind of talked about um, to cap off the last um, kind of call we had, which, you know, the the kind of framing of, you know, we have the, the centralized Nintendo, but then there's also Treasure as like the Web3 nation. And it's the ecosystem made up of many network states of which, you know, those are games or the metaverses. And so as we think about this, like GDP of the network, right, it's like the economic activity, it's all the builders, developers, contributors of all the, you know, many games and metaverses. And then, you know, of course, the players, I think that has, you know, there's just something special about gaming which in a lot of ways is anti-fragile to you know everything we're sort of doing um and and certainly i think with with the pace of the you know just macro and and market overall where you know uh, people are kind of you know sticky because they're here for the content and the games and you know of course like there's been a, a big change in wave from you know kind of early 2022 p to e you know that sort of era has you know i think very much sort of changed the landscape of gaming and how we kind of approach things um and so i think there's that sort of natural just path as the treasure ecosystem at large you know matured we brought more games a lot of them also matured as well and you know they went from what was much more kind of simple sort of game mechanics and game loops into something that's a lot more immersive that's fun you know and it is really kind of going through that 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 evolution um you know you have uh, games like the beacon uh, come kind of coming out and you know i think a lot of these you know i think changes and you know just us maturing as an ecosystem you know the players kind of sticking around because they're just having fun and being part of the community um you know i think there is a also just a, a provenance of you know i think being kind of early and being you know part of this and and kind of contributing and meaningful ways and you know i think there's a cultural sort of aspect to it as well the the social kind of moat that you know i think can sort of emerge from that and you know you spending time in uh, the small brains community and you know we in a lot of ways view them as kind of the blue chips and uh you know and, and kind of the the punks plus bake plus whatever you want to kind of you know compare them to but in in its kind of unique way and you know we like to call them the the mario of, of treasure uh, and so i think there's a lot of that that you know has this emotional kind of connection um but really i mean at the end of the day it's you know i think you know there are just things to do here and you know it it leads to i think people kind of sticking around and contributing or playing and you know we're, we're hoping to have a lot more of that yeah, it was, it was definitely something I learned throughout this last bull market is that like the attention game is really where it's at in, in crypto uh, and gaming has this edge over most other things in that like 
there are things to do. So there's always a, a reason to deposit your attention into a, into a game. Uh, I, we've we've talked about the narrative of like treasure as like the Nintendo of Web three and what that means. I, I did not understand that that meme when I first heard it. So I think we need to take some time to explain it. Uh, Carell, can you kind of explain this vision? This the, what what does this mean to be the Nintendo of, of Web three and how do game cartridges fit into this whole thing? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, you know when we think about you know, just game publishing and, you know, kind of the Nintendo. I mean, that's one really good analogy. There's also the the Valve and the Steam and the Half-Life, which is also another one that you could probably use as well. But really thinking about this from like, you know, breaking down these walled gardens, um, which, you know, I think is kind of looking at this in, in a brand new way that, you know, previously probably wouldn't have been possible in Web2 or was not, you know, uh, feasible from a, a business perspective. Um, but now, you know, enter kind of Web3, you know, and really coming at this from how kind of treasure started. I mean, it was, um, you know, a derivative of, of loot. I won't go through all the history because I we have another, uh, you know, a pod on this already, but, um, you know, and, and kind of approaching this from just like a bottom-up manner, you know, it was a fair launch, free mints, you know, we distributed magic, we distributed, you know, the kind of initial NFTs that led to free mints, that led to small brains, that led to kind of bridge world and legions. And so that was our approach of one, taking this thesis of how can we kind of create and bridge and connect games that could share common resources. So this interoperability thesis, um, but kind of do this in a way that helped to kind of showcase what a proof of concept could look like. So, you know, like a Nintendo, you know, there are first party bets and IPs that, you know, need to kind of form and that, you know, uh, ultimately our hope is that we can kind of create some hits from them, but at the same time, because of the nature of the space and what, you know, I think, uh, you know, magic sort of unlocked for a lot of people uh, was the ability for other builders and other games to come into treasure and, you know, again, it's permissionless. Anyone can pick it up and do whatever they want with it. Um, and, but that said, it needs to kind of be done in a way that the DAO can formally kind of accept and, and bring in, uh, you know, one, folks who are kind of well aligned with treasure and magic and really what we're trying to accomplish um, and, you know, kind of build together. And so this, you know, enable this sort of like bottom up, you know, manner of building that, um, you know, maybe the Nintendo of, you know, kind of web two probably wouldn't be able to kind of tackle it. And so we're doing this as, and, and, you know, my, my aspiration is that we no longer have to refer to this moniker of the decentralized Nintendo in a few years. And we just call it treasure. Certainly. And, and I'll say my, my first initial reaction to that was that's a great, that's a great narrative. Uh, all like web three gaming platforms want to have this interoperability, this, uh, you know, just come build your game on treasure. But then my, my initial like skeptical, I, I was optimistic that we could do this. Somebody could hopefully do this. But my initial reaction was like, well, why would you just build your game on treasure when you could just build your game independently and not be subjected to the economics of, of treasure? Uh, and so this is what I was really waiting for when, after doing the interview back in April, and then I come back in June, I was like, oh, that. That's actually playing out for some somehow they've they've managed their coordination incentives to actually encourage people to build on treasure rather than defect and go out and build on their own. And one of those games, I think, is is uh, the beacon. So, Diego, Diego, I want to turn to you is like, why what resources did treasure the treasure ecosystem have to offer you and, and what you were building? And, and why did you decide to build uh, alongside treasure instead of just forking off and building your own ecosystem? Sure. I mean, there's quite a few. I'd say that one of the things that I wanted to mention that I don't really know precisely how 
how treasure achieved this this culture that they have like this e kind of thing I, I really don't know how you recreate that i think that's impossible and when we actually found out about this community we were like what is up with these guys like who are these people like what why how, how are they all like so well coordinated and so sharing like the same i don't know like ethos to some degree and ethos. We quickly found, yeah we quickly sorry <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Uh, well, so we quickly realized that we found this community that had the interest that we were looking for, which is people that are interested in the crypto space, but also highly interested and invested in the gaming side of things, much like we were, you know, like we are, we're all gamers. We love the crypto space, but we found out that this community had like that, those two interests, interests like very at heart. And they, they had built a community that was not only fun, but very contagious. Right. So we quickly realized like, Hey, whatever is it that this guy's built is actually quite unique, quite hard to replicate. And we don't really want to replicate it. I think that this was like the audience that we were to some degree like looking for, right? But besides like the community side, which is actually quite the big one if you're building a game, I'd say that's, that's the hardest part, is the fact that Treasure also offers a set of, let's say an infrastructure that is very hard to build on your own, let's say. One of the main reasons why most projects in Gamify fail is because they develop, uh, they develop, um, tokenomics that don't really make economic sense or they sort of orient the game design towards a token and usually they fail on that right but what treasure sort of grants you is a it's a token that has utility outside of your game while also providing you with a community that wants this token and this infrastructure to thrive and, and this let's say this whole ecosystem to thrive and also providing you infrastructure to build upon like a marketplace and and, and other stuff like that right so they sort of help you in different ways that is very hard to come by if you're building on your own to me, one of the core aspects where games fail is because they focus on building a, a token first rather than just fo focus on building a game first. Um, so with Treasure, we sort of realized that we could focus on creating what's actually engaging for players, which is the game, right? We also sort of leveraged the fact that Treasure impulses interoperability, right? The fact that an asset on my game can be used in another game and so on, so on and so forth, right? Which actually adds more value to whatever exists to this in, inside the ecosystem. So this, I'd say the treasure has like this property that the more it grows, the more it's um, enticing for games to hop into. And the more games that hop into, the more it keeps on growing because sort of everyone benefits from it. And you can certainly see that the community has that, that in mind to some degree. That's what they've created that I say it's very hard to replicate. It's very, very hard. Um, so yeah, that's my answer, I guess. Yeah, it really seems to be the treasure's uh, moat is uh, distribution where games could be independent if they wanted to. They could attempt to yeah. bootstrap if they wanted to. But maybe they just want to take the easy route and plug right into Treasure and have just like these crazy e-fanatics immediately start playing their game. Uh, and uh, that seems to be like kind of the bull case for, for Treasure. Is that is that how you, you guys see it? It's, it, I'd say it's one part. Uh, and, and I'll start, Diego. I mean, I'll clip that for, for later and, and show the team because that was a great testimony. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when we think about certainly like from the, the gaming and, and sort of builders perspective, like we, we, we like to talk about our flywheels a lot, but there is a bit of this like builder flywheel where, you know, you have this like vibrant and kind of intimate ecosystem. There's the community side, you know, it's bootstrapping player adoption, tap into that, you know, it's the, the ease in the crowd and, you know, uh, also the beacon community. I mean, you know, they're, they're, you know, I think this player base um, and especially as this grows, like it, you know, there is that kind of cross pollination that's kind of happening. 
there's this other side of it, which I think is maybe more builder centric. And in a lot of ways, it's almost like a, a, a founders group. You know, if you kind of put your, your VC hat on, you know, it's a group of just like it's other entrepreneurs, other builders. And, you know, I think for us to be, be able to kind of curate and bring, you know, really talented folks together who can spend time talking about very openly, you know, struggles and challenges that they have, you know, with regards to game design, tokenomics, go to market um, operations. I mean, there's a chat going on right now on like generative AI and, you know, the use of that in like art production. And it's a very just like collaborative kind of effort versus it being, you know, really kind of competitive in that certain nature. So there's a big kind of bucket around the, that ecosystem. Um, so distribution, I think, is is really key to that, but also um, kind of this, this kind of building side of things. Um, you know, I think we're moving to this, um, you know, maturity of the the network where you can have and kind of bring out just these like more immersive kind of gaming experiences so interop is like a really big sort of theme there i think there's also this meta game that is emerging because everything is tied together in so many different ways so you have this meta game that we're trying to foster that is like intergame intragame and then just, you know, add a kind of layer of identity as, you know, kind of social, the play, you know, the social graph that players can kind of, you know, tap into and then coordinate, you know, we're talking a lot about guilds that could form that could span different games and, you know, the way that, you know, what might have emerged in World of Warcraft, but, you know, think of having something that could have, you know, kind of, um, you know, take shape in, in multiple games, um, uh, XP, uh, identity, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's, there's so many different parts there um, that we can kind of play a, a role to, to help kind of cultivate and, and, you know, really kind of bring this to life. Carl, I'm curious, what's holding you guys back right now? So there, there was a time where I, I might have said, yeah, GameFi is being held back by really high transaction fees uh, and kind of scalability constraints of, of uh, decentralized blockchains. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, maybe another uh, aspect is user experience. I mean, wallets are still kind of hard. Onboarding into crypto is still kind of hard. But what would you point to? Like what's holding Treasure, that entire ecosystem, and GameFi in general back? Um, I, I get the impression that this is maybe a in terms of number of gamers, we're in the, you know, the tens of thousands or so, maybe close to hundreds of thousands, maybe, uh, what's it going to take to get to the millions? What's it going to take to get to kind of the, the big boy numbers that the Nintendo's of the world are, are pulling in? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, my, my perspective is a lot of it is from that user experience. I mean, I think there's definitely a, a scaling and, um, kind of cost and, and speed question. Um, I mean, I, I think, in a lot of ways, though, you know, and you're you're seeing more of the kind of hybrid, like on off chain sort of models emerge. And, you know, I think there's a there's room and a place for like fully on chain games. Um, but I, I do think that there was a period of time where like that was the end goal for a lot of folks. But I think we're maybe still a bit far off from that. Um that said, though, I, I think there's, um, you know, that wall ex experience, the, you know, uh, like, I think, and, and this may be a hot take, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, a, a user and a player shouldn't even know what network they're on. They shouldn't have to worry about kind of the tokens, you know, and so this is where, it, you know, whether it's on Arbitrum, and hopefully it's on Arbitrum, but it could be anywhere else that like, it's abstracted away, you know, you don't have to manage your wallet. And so we're making 
quite a number of strides. There are a ton of partners out there. A lot of people just working on the really the picks and shovels uh, to you know take make that experience like you know much better for the end user. Um, so so I think that is is maybe the the biggest kind of uh, blocker right now for us to kind of get there. I think the other side of it is just you know the the types of games that you know could appeal to um, you know that kind of mainstream audience or mass market. I think we're still a bit far off from that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, like there's uh, a number of them that are, you know, which I would point to with, with the beacon being like one that I think has like, you know, the ability to really kind of capture that, you know, uh, that sort of audience. Um, and, you know, I think we had, you know, come from a, a stage where like there is a ton of games that weren't free to play. You know, you had to buy and mint an NFT in order to participate and, or and it cost, you know, quite a bit to for you to kind of enter and, and you know, play. So I think, you know, there's just a, a bit of a shift in, in terms of how games and, and how builders are approaching it. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear Diego's uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's plenty to touch in there. Uh... To me, I agree with Karel for the most part. I think that on-ramps are quite the, the important part, just make this frictionless for regular players. To me, one of Gamify's main, most like biggest problems is Gamify itself, right? The fact that you create uh, a game that spins around a certain token and that you need to, to use DeFi to participate into it. I think that, that that's not necessary. Well, the approach that we took on our end was to, why don't we create a game that sort of leverages the well, the benefits of blockchain without necessarily requiring it for you to play the game. So do it well, well, by doing that, we achieved to some degree to create a fun and engaging experience that also has the benefits of blockchain. And that, at least as for now, has been has worked well because people are really really people really want to play games on the blockchain. The only issue that you have is that you don't have that many and the the way to play them is to, well, to purchase tokens and participate on these strange economic loops. There's also, to me, like a change in some tendencies, like Gamify, let's say a year ago, was way different in the sense that there was like this notion that every aspect of the game had to be in a blockchain, everything had to be centralized, I mean, decentralized, which I think that is not the case anymore. I think that to achieve mass adoption, we need a game that is like a hybrid, that has the aspect, even the benefits of blockchain, but that has the technology that allows it to be a fun game. Like you need to have a game that's to some degree centralized in order to create an engaging experience because if everything is on the blockchain, there's just no way to do that and create a fun game um, by having like everything decentralized. So you need like this sort of hybrid approach. And I think that we, we're seeing a tendency now where games are actually focusing on the fun aspect first and blockchain sort of second to some degree. And yeah, I think that that's one of the things that's going to drive adoption. Is If you want to appeal to the Web2 crowd, give them what they want, which is to have fun, right? And if you show, show them the benefits of Web3, which are quite, quite uh, substantial to begin with, they will immediately and inevitably keep on using the technology. The way I sort of envision it to some degree is that people will be using blockchain in games without realizing that they're using blockchain in games the same way that we don't realize many of the technologies that we use nowadays. I think that that's sort of the way to go. And, and, and I certain, certainly see that happening to some degree, although we're still, we still have the the old gamify approach let's say that's token based so and that's just my, my, my take by the way it might be wrong on this one of course it's uh, just a you, thesis you're saying we don't we don't make kind of finance the the focus or the end all be all right it's got to be more than that and, and, and yeah i'd say i would just say we're we're depending on you guys to build some really cool stuff because i don't know if you noticed but the uh the gaming community kind of hates us right now absolutely uh, hates crypto <laughs> hates nfts thinks it's all a ponzi scam 
and it's up yeah. to you guys, the builders, to uh, to prove that we have something really fun and engaging. And I think we're seeing that in in kind of the the community, the treasure communities that's sort of stuck around and is exploring this ecosystem right now. They seem very engaged and excited. But it's up yeah. to you guys. Yeah, Diego. Yeah. On, on that note. Sure. Uh, I think when people hear the words like Web3 Gaming, they think Axie Infinity and they really understand it to be yes. like there's a UI, there's a uh, skin on top of this economic game. Actually, yeah. what, what is, what, what's the beacon game? What do you do in the game? What are the objectives? Can you like pitch the game for us? Like what, sure, how, sure. how do you so, play the game? So the beacon is a roguelike uh, RPG game oh, that leverages the social aspect of MMOs together with NFTs, right? Mm. Um, so the, the game basically spins around two core concepts. The first concept, the first concept would be a, so, a solo dungeon crawler uh, roguelike game that's pretty much based or inspired on games like Hades or The Binding of Isaac, if you ex- experience those games, like fast-paced, action-heavy, skill-requiring skill-required games, right, that use procedural generation so that every time you enter, it's going to be a different experience, right? And the idea is that players, as they play, they the farther they get into these dungeons, the better or the more loot they can take home and this loot could be sometimes nfts sometimes it's just like cosmetic items right that's one of the dimensions of the game and the second dimension of the game will be a highly social gameplay where every player just for the sake of existing owns a house a house right and they can decorate this house with the items that they find during their dungeon runs right so you have like a character you have your house most of the items inside the house are nfts and the idea is that you can invite people over and visit other players houses and just pretty much have like this sort of social experience right but besides that, we have the fact that characters are, are highly customizable as well by NFTs and by different items. So players can have like their own unique looks. Right? And besides the housing system and the social experience, we are planning to have like this sort of open world kind of city like that mimics the experience that most MMOs have. Like most MMOs that you ever played had a town or a city that you needed to go to in order to interact with the core aspects of the game, such as questing and crafting and stuff like that. And it's usually that place where people hang around and just talk with each other and we were planning to recreate this experience in our game so we're basically just a mix between uh, hades and stardew valley that also sort of includes the 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 social aspect of mmos right and we're using nfts to power most of this like in the sense that you have limited items that you can share towards others and a highly competitive gameplay that we can leverage to well to have people competing against each other and stuff like that right so it's basically a game that is a game-first approach that uses the blockchain to its benefit rather than relying on the blockchain as its main uh, source of existence, let's say, as its main motive of, of existence. And that's what, what we think that will be um, the, one of the ways to go in blockchain gaming. It's just using the power of the blockchain to leverage the assets inside of a game instead of, instead of just pursuing financial, financialization. Although you can actually add some finan- financialization approach into it if you want to, but it, it comes with its risks, of course. That's like a broad uh, uh, explanation of the game, but I can dive deeper if you want to. No, I love that. I'm already getting excited because mm-hmm. roguelikes are, are my like bread and butter. That's my, my favorite kind of like casual game to hop into. Uh, guys, this has been just a great like overall landscape uh, overview of, of the Arbitrum app layer. But uh, I want to talk about this this last conversation before we wrap things up here, which is the PFP mm-hmm. landscape of, of Arbitrum. Because that's actually mm-hmm. how uh, I really just got like zoomed into the Arbitrum ecosystem as of recently is like trying to ask myself, what are the PFPs worth collecting in the Arbitrum ecosystem? Uh, and so, like, what, what uh, uh, Carl, I'll throw this one to you. Like, what are the PFPs in the Arbitrum ecosystem? Because people definitely rock them. Can you, like, kind of run us through the, the landscape of Arbitrum PFPs? 
Yeah, I mean, you you, you already have one. One is uh, definitely the the small brains side of things. Uh, I mean, for 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 a backdrop, you know, the kind of genesis for it. I mean, obviously, super cute monkey, very zany, just uh, amazing uh, kind of pixel art. Um, but the concept of it was, you know, it had um, you know ever kind of increasing head, you know, as you kind of staked it. Uh, by the way, you should be tossing up trove on here, not open sea. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <but it's>, uh... <laughs> You're showing your, your layer one maxi. Uh... Uh, right here trove yeah, huh? but, okay i'll be exactly. right back <laughs> <laughs> but um you know you, you you would have this uh kind of you know small brain that would you know grow over time and um you know the longer you staked it the more iq it would it would gain and um you know with that though the kind of collective world would also advance at the same time so i mean it was uh, definitely one of the first and and you know few that kind of came to arbitrage i mean certainly there were many that um you know were, were kind of there before as well um but you know this is really that kind of blue chip you know it's the cultural icon of of, of treasure um is it a blue I mean, chip they're... how do we know that that's a fair statement to make is it the blue trip of our blue trip of arbitrage uh i mean i i guess so so look at it from maybe like a, a kind of there's the price angle, but I think from a cultural relevance as well, um, just in terms mm. of, you know, kind of where it's it's stood uh, overall sort of volume. I don't know what that translates to in terms of hard numbers, but it's done quite a bit. Um, but certainly I think, um, you know, but but the hope is that there are going to be many more. Um, so, you know, we, we just announced um, another kind of, uh, and I mean, there's certainly the beacon, you know, I, I see a lot mm. of people representing uh, their beacon characters uh, on, on Twitter and, and Discord and all that as well. Mm. Um, we just announced a partnership with a game called uh, Carrero before the holidays, uh, which is effectively uh, a Pokemon uh, of uh, kind of Web3. And so they're building an ecosystem and, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, a, a PFP collection as well, which, um, you know, super excited for. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll bump it to CoinFlip because I, I know that uh, they also have one in the GMX uh, community as well. Thank you. Thanks for that shout out. Yeah, no. Um... GBCs are the GMX Blueberry Club, which I guess, depending on if I'm talking or not, you might see on the screen. Yeah, it's uh, on the screen. Was, actually a real, was a real fun part of our community. It's actually, it, well, again, we are we are very much you know a DeFi protocol, but uh, you know, early in twenty early, early last year, as you know, the bear was setting in, and people wanted to really focus on you know how they were appreciating and enjoying the community. Actually. A few community members came together and created DBC, uh, which has, you know, has also grown, and you know, you'll you'll find it all over Twitter, and it's a great way for people to show their support for the protocol. But it's created this interesting community because we we kind of, in a very different way, I, I remember being part of the dialogue. It was that we just wanted to show a happy, friendly place, and that was kind of our thing of Arbitrum and GMX and everybody coming into our community. So, you know, GBCs are happy. They're they sort of, you know. It just, and again, I think it became a very nice way for people to just show their their loyalty, respect, however you want to term it, for this community that was being built out. And I think everybody's very proud of that. And I, I think that's what's mm. one of the great things with PFPs. It doesn't need to be, you know, it, it doesn't always need to be about signaling, um, you know, status and anything else. It's just about being part of a community. I'm I'm loving mm, yeah. the, uh, the the synergies here between DeFi, which is of course what GMX is, and NFT PFPs, which mean it's just kind of showing the the case that like doesn't matter if you're a DeFi app, you can also have a PFP NFT as well. Uh, and I do appreciate the happy go lucky like vibes of this uh, of this uh, collection. And also, <laughs> if you even told me in 2017 that 
I would be uh, ha- having a podcast where we talk about blueberry profile pictures. I would have thought that crypto went off into some weird <laughs> niche territory, but turns out this is actually how we uh, we scale this out to the masses. It's 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 interestingly enough like one of the most uniting aspects of the whole technology. Yeah. Like people really just say put the PFPs of the projects that they like and they sort of identify with them, and that's yeah. I mean, it's it's big. Yep, we're we're all looking for our tribe. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been a fantastic exploration. And I know none of you guys are the actual Arbitrum team, but I have to raise the topic of the question of the token. You guys know anything about the token? Because they are not telling me anything. You guys guys got any alpha? What token? The, Arbit- the Arbitrum <laughs> token. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did. I'm sure it's like the first, second, third, and hundredth question they get, and yeah. they just they don't. But you know what? I mean, jokes aside, I actually appreciate the fact that that's not their focus. Mm, um, mm, it's yeah, it, as right. it, it really has ended up being one of the big uniting factors for building out this community. People, as you said, instead, what are, what have people done? They've come across to Arbitrum because everybody has heard of it, and. They've they've gone and looked into the magic community. They've looked within GMX and our extended ecosystem. They've gone into DopeX's ecosystem. Uh, you know, there's there's all these DEXs that are coming across now and and, and opening. You know, like like Trader Joe's come across, Camelot, Swapfish. I mean, it's just like you know, and everybody's instead focusing on projects and protocols, not the token. But yes, one token. Sounds like y'all <laughs> all share that sentiment. Yet, yeah, nevertheless, exactly. I think we're all, we are all very, very excited for what we hope to be is an eventual token drop, some way, somehow, in some mechanism. Uh, I'm sure the Arbitrum team is listening right now, uh, chuckling a little bit. Uh, so, I got one last question. This one's actually for uh, for, for Ryan. Uh, Ryan, what? what is the letter that comes after D in the alphabet? Are you talking about E, David? Yeah, can you say e, it a little louder? The letter though? E. I'm just talking about E as a letter. <laughs> Nothing to do with any any PFP ecosystem. It's just the letter E. A, B, C, D, E. <laughs> well, they're going to love that one. Ryan, you want to close this out here? Yeah. Um, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, look, thanks for making uh, crypto fun again and weird again. I feel like we got sidetracked in 2022, but um, the Arbitrum community is really, uh, really delivering some cool stuff. So I uh, want to thank all of our panelists for this. Uh, appreciate you and message to the Bankless Nation. It's a bear market, but it's time to explore. This is kind of the most fulfilling time. I think you can be on your crypto journey because there's a lot less noise. There's a lot more builders. Uh, The communities are much cooler. There's much more signal and less noise. So go check out the treasury ecosystem today. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can just Google it. You can figure this out. Also, uh, go play Beacon, the game. Uh, It sounds really cool. Dungeon crawler mixed with crypto economics. Very cool. Go check out GMX as well. We'll also include in the show notes a link to some of our Arbitrum guides that we've published on the Bankless newsletter so you can get started with this. But most of the tools you're familiar with uh, on Ethereum and um, other places in the ecosystem will work here. So, But I think that, that the first point of Alpha I say is uh, on Treasure, use Trove, not OpenSea. That is one of the first things that I learned. There you go. Uh, I, I just learned that now. Yeah. So guys, we're, we're all leveling up together. Uh, risk and disclaimers, of course, got to let you know that uh, Arbitrum is risky. So is all of crypto. DeFi is as well. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west towards the frontier. It's frontier. not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. <laughs>